Hey, Darren, have you been watching us on uh, the Electric Now app? I have. I haven't recently because I, I, I watch you pretty much every week when we're doing these things. But yeah, but, you know, <laughs> it, it's it's you know what I love about it's the Electric be, Now app? It's better it's on so video. It's so easy to use. It's, it's, it's better really on video. Easy. Download got, the app and you watch us. That's all there is to it. It's so and, simple. And a lot of other cool stuff, too. You go to the app store. It says Electric Now. You download it. And then it, in press, the United States, press the button and there it is. There it is. And you can choose, you can bookmark it. There's plenty of other movies and TV show to enjoy and episodes of all your favorite electric surge podcasts. So why wait, download the electric now app and start enjoying us anytime. Hey, this is Mark A. Altman. And this is Darren Doctorman, And we are the inglorious Trexperts and we're now the hosts of inglorious Trexperts briefing room curated audio commentaries of significant Star Trek episodes from the original series all the way through Discovery. So if you want to check out exciting, incisive audio commentaries with the writers, producers, stars, and Trexperts, you want to listen to Trexperts Briefing Room wherever you get your podcasts. That's Trexperts Briefing Room. That's a separate feed from Inglorious Trexperts. And you can listen to curated audio commentaries with great commentary of some of your favorite and possibly least favorite Star Trek episodes of all time. You don't want to miss this, kids. Give these episodes another ear. It's beginning to feel a lot like Christmas. And it if sure you is. are, <laughs> it is, isn't it? I know. And, and if you're looking for something, the perfect gift for a friend or for yourself, I recommend, maybe you can recommend it because it sounds really self-serving and narcissistic when I recommend it. Um, the wonderful oral history of Star Trek, uh, the 50-year well, mission. Would that be the 50-year mission? Uh, volume one be. and two? Volume one. Now, I want to make an important distinction. Volume one, available now in paperback. Volume two, only in hardcover still. Right. So, But you can get the audio version, get the digital version. You can get them all. Because maybe them you all. want them get all. Get all of them. You know, because that would be ideal. I, I would prefer <laughs> you get them all. If I had my, my druthers, as they say. And then, of course, also... Our other books, which are worth checking out, Nobody Does It Better, also available in hardcover and now in paperback. That's about uh, James Bond, isn't it? How'd you guess? I just it's about James Bond. Because nobody Indeed. does it better, that's why. It's a great book about James Bond. So as you get ready for the inevitable release of uh, No Time to Die sometime in the next decade. There's no time um, to release. <laughs> you want to pick up No Time to Die, again, also available on digital audio and in hardcover and paperback from, uh, from Tor Forge. And uh, if you want to do a deeper dive, check out uh, So So Say We All, our oral history of both Battlestar Galactica series, which is only available in hardcover. And I don't believe there's an audio book. I just think a digital. I'm not sure why they didn't do an audio book. Maybe, uh, maybe, maybe we can I'll, do something about that. Maybe we will. Maybe we'll just record <laughs> our own and we'll, we'll show them. Welcome to Best Movies Never Made, the podcast where we explore interesting and infamous movies that never made it to or through production. I am your co-host, Josh Miller, and with me, as always, is Mr. Steven Scarlatta. This is part two of our two-part conversation with screenwriter Peter Briggs. We're going to pick things up right where we left off in episode one. 
And then, so how do we get to Freddy versus Jason? Um, really simply, uh, Mike DeLuca, who was the head of New Line, uh, had read Alien vs. Predator, liked it, and called me up and said, we'd like you to do Freddy vs. Jason. It was, it was that simple. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I suppose so having I, already done a, a very good versus script certainly helps. Yeah. I, I guess, I guess. And, and so he called me up and, and he said, we, we'd like to do this. And I very sensibly said no. Um, I turned <laughs> him down. And, and uh, you know, he, he didn't take no. I mean, I, the, my reasoning was, I'd, you know, I've seen all the Freddy films and uh, I like them incrementally. I like some of them more than I like others. I like Darabont's one. I like Rennie Harlan's one. I like the original. Two is terrible. Um, you know, and the others are kind of, you know, are what they are. And, um, and I've never really gravitated towards Jason. Um, and so he, Mike is a guy who doesn't take no for an answer. And so he kind of kept on at me and I said, okay, I'll tell you what, I'll do it. If, because, you know, I've made no bones that I really want to, you know, as with everyone else, what I really want to do is direct. Um, and I've spent a long, long time trying to get to that point and without really any success but i i said to him you know i'll do this if i can direct it and he said well yeah sure you know let's let's get the draft in and we can we can talk about it um and so i i took it on board and i didn't really know the friday the 13th movies i'd seen uh the 3d one uh, at the cinema because i had a free pass to go see it <laughs> um and and so i watched all of the friday the 13th over the period over a period of two days and my brain almost melted um sorry i apologize <laughs> to those of you out there who are listening to this we love jason movies but i hate them um uh, well i the love I, them the, but i also still understand <laughs> yeah I, the one i the one i liked which weirdly people don't seem to like is jason goes to hell which i thought was the one with the, the most the most sound kind of law and interesting storyline behind it that just wasn't you know people getting killed um, oh, so that's interesting. So you marathon them all and then you get to the I last did. one at that period was yeah. that one. Yeah. And so, uh, and so, I mean, there's a great book by, um, Oh God. Um, oh, I'm so I'm blanking on his name. You know, he'll, he'll kill me because he's a really nice guy. There's a great book about the making of, of uh, Freddie versus Jason. I, oh. I talked about it at length um, in one of the, one of the chapters. Uh, Dusty um, McNeil. Is that his name? Thank you. Oh, yeah. Dusty. Right, yeah. yeah. Dusty's uh, Slash of the Titans is the book. That's yeah. the one. Slash yes. of the Titans. And, um, uh, you know, I sort of, you know, go through the, the, the writing process on that. Um, again, you know, I, 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 that was the first time I think I, worked with my brother because I pulled him in and I just wanted you know I wanted a sounding board there was a another friend of mine Stephen Horvath who wrote a zombie movie um a year or so ago um what was it called um um red oh he's gonna kill me when he hears it um <laughs> but he wrote a British zombie movie about uh, about a year or so ago and um and, and in fact the, the daggers of Horvath in the script are named after Steve so um <laughs> so, uh, so uh, which are the daggers that you see at the end of uh you know jason goes to hell um and and so i you know i i kind of uh, i was given free will initially to to kind of go away and do what, what i wanted with it and then new line got nervous uh, after a couple of weeks and they came back and said well what are you doing with it and i said well I, do you trust me and they went no 
<laughs> so and so I said, I, 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 can you give us a treatment? And I said, well, I'd really rather not because I don't really work that way. I don't outline. I don't treatment. I work with cards. And, you know, I kind of, when I, when I launch into a script, I pretty much have a good solid idea of where the first act's going. And so I try and get that down first. And then I slow down. And, and you know, as you're going through the script, ideas for, you know, with, with luck, you know what your ending's going to be. You know what your various points are going to be. And so you lay these down, you know, to correspond with, with your various act breaks and, and where they are. And um, I always feel that it's a, it's a dangerous thing to, to work from rigidly from an outline you've done because, um, you know, creativity doesn't flow. And again, this is going back to that thing I talked about with uh, you know, since the rise of the, the how-to screenwriter books, that, um, you know, it's represented screenwriting in a very regimented, very spreadsheet, column A, column B mentality. And, and I think it, it's, you know, if your characters are going through and they're doing things, they'll, they'll springboard off. They'll, they'll take you in places that you didn't think, you know, you would go to. And, or they'll talk about things. Or, you know, you'll get that idea in the shower, at, you know, four o'clock in the morning as you're going to bed. And you think, oh, wow, that's a great idea. And, and so I sort of, I gave them a very rough outline. And I said, look, I'm going to give you the first 15 pages. And so I, you know, I sent them back. But, you know, I'd already signed the contract at this point. I could have, <laughs> I could, I could have just said no. But, but you know, I'd signed, I thought, you know, in a, in a show of good faith. And so I gave them the first 15 pages. Mike came back. He goes, look, I don't know where you're going with this, but I love the first 15 pages. I said, well, okay, just, you know, let me, let me carry on. And, um, and yeah, it was written. Actually, uh, there was more procrastination going on in moving cards about than the writing process. The writing process actually occurred quite quickly. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I, I finished it. Uh, my brother uh, helped me with some of the plotting um, in terms of, you know, he would just, he'd say, hey, how about if this happened? And I'd say, no, that's terrible. But what if this happened? Um, and and uh, yeah, um, we, you know, pounded out the script and um, turned it in. And Mike DeLuca loved it. Mike really liked it. Um, and uh, God, um, I'm blanking on the name. Well, who was the head of New Line at um, who, his company? Bob Shea. Yes, Bob Shea. Bob Shea. But Bob kind of freaked out because he was like, <laughs> you know, this is, this is going to cost like $30 million. Um, you know, there were, I, I mean, you've read it. It's kind of ambitious, I suppose. I mean, that's um, it. I was going to say, uh, what I love about it is just how bonkers and ambitious it is. I was also going to say that that for first 15 pages you allude to um, begin in 1648 in Italy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and I assume you, you describe one character as looking startling, startlingly similar to Christopher Lee. So I assume in your mind, you were hoping they'd actually yeah. get Christopher Lee. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and also to um, let yeah, the he... listeners know a bit, uh, what I what I like about it is is how, and it's funny that you were coming from a place of not caring about either franchises, because I'd say of all the Freddy versus Jason's one, yours is the one that's most steeped in the mythology of both, since our heroes are uh, Steve and Jessica, the stars, yeah. and Jason goes to hell, and then Alice Johnson from nightmare four and five and her son jacob who's the dream child from nightmare yeah. five the dream child 
Well, I, I went back and I, I, I read, you know, I, I, I read as much as I could because, you know, this is pre-internet, remember. So I'm, I'm buying books and I'm, you know, I went out and I got the, um, the uh, Nightmare TV show, um, which, the, you know, the good episode. And that was the one um, where the parents decide to kill Freddy. You know, oh, that, I think that's the pilot that. episode. Oh, yeah. The yeah, that, 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 yeah. And that was great. And that gave me a, that episode gave totally. me the idea of, you know, what, what if what if Jason was an Elm Street kid, you know? Um, and, uh, you know, so, uh, yeah, I, I, I turned, I turned the draft in and, and Bob Shea just rightly said it was too big. Um, uh, and you know, they didn't want to spend that amount of money on it. And so it became, you know, I, I replaced, uh, Brennan Braga and, uh, Ron Moore. And I believe David Scow replaced, replaced me. <laughs> um, and you know, and they went through more and more writers after that. So. Um, you know, it, it was oh, one that. more drive, but but you know, my, my feeling is, you know, you have to sort of sit down. Even though I don't like the Jason films, um, they're not my my cup of tea. You know, I needed to be respectful to them. I needed to make sure that the law worked, that, that it actually made sense. Um, you know, if I'm if I'm hired to write something, I will sit down and try to you know know everything I can about it and make sure. You know, I, I I'm a big fan of sort of you know unified field theory i really kind of think that you should you know if, if if somebody is giving you an awful lot of money to to do a job you should do it properly um yeah I, yeah i was gonna say too is like what i love about yours is because I, I went through a bunch of these drafts and yours is the most it's it's like it's dark and it's a horror it feels like a horror film because i think the first attempt in 93 was the guy who did does it really i i no i it's no, funny I, you should say that because i don't i don't i mean i look at david scow's draft and i think yeah, that's definitely a horror film. Well, your um, well, the thing I, about yours is is that all the other ones I kept re reading was Jason's a good guy. They always resurrect Jason to face off against Freddy for them. Like Jason's always a good guy, but in yours, it just I mean, Jason just feels like he's he's a bad guy in, in yours. That's what I I feel about it. Like you kind of you kind of well, made. He, I, 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 he's a victim. I mean, he's been manipulated by Freddy, who is himself being manipulated by Drumroll, Thanos. <laughs> yeah, I was going to ask about that. This was, yeah, this was back in the, the days, you know, because I, I was a fan. I mean, I, you know, I, I knew all my Marvel comics from when I was a kid and I knew uh, about Thanos and, and um, Adam Warlock. But I thought back then, you know, nobody's going to ever make these movies. Nobody's ever going <laughs> to know who Thanos is. Um, and, and, and in fact, originally he was called Thanatos, you know, which is the, the Greek personification of death. But it was just too difficult to keep saying Thanatos, Thanatos. Um, and it was easy to say Thanos. So I shortened it down to Thanos from Thanatos. Um, it's pretty amazing which, to have yeah. Thanos as the villain of a Freddy versus Jason movie. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I was, I, was, I, was, I was still a, you know, wet behind the ears fanboy when I was writing this. This was in the 95, 05, that's like 26 years ago now. Um, and, uh, or, or longer. What, what even is the copyright on that? 27 years? Um, I'm trying to think because it takes place in 99, but I, it was written before that. I think you wrote it in uh, 96, or was that was when it was supposed to come out? Because I'd, I'd, I'd written Judge Dredd before then, I guess. Um, and I'd written War of the Worlds after it, I think. Um, so, you know, I, I mean, it's, yeah. I mean, I, I know there was, a, there was one of the execs at New Line um, uh, who, who wrote some of the. Uh, Ash versus um, Freddy comics. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember him saying that was 
his fate personal favorite of the drafts. Well, it's um, it's just so interesting to think like, that there would have been a flashback where we see, you know, John Saxon's character from Nightmare interacting yes. with Pamela Voorhees. Yeah, and as you noted, the reveal right. that and, Jason and was also, actually an Elm Street I, I, kid. Yeah, and I think also possibly what what may have um, helped sway Bob away from wanting to make it was that in my final scene, I actually have the search warrant that stopped Freddy Krueger from going free being signed because the search warrant wasn't signed. And so it was an illegal uh, an illegal apprehension. And, and, and so I had the search warrant be signed. And so uh, Freddy never becomes Freddy. And yeah. so I basically, <laughs> I, I undid, I undid the cash cow. I stopped the cash cow from ever happening. That's so, great, um, yeah. you know, uh, but it's yeah. also you you it, it's so interesting seeing this so far ahead of cabin in the woods as well because one of my favorite moments in this is where oh yes reveal, you know that never even occurred to me wow yeah yeah because they, they 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 you describe as a rogues gallery of when the yes. heroes going through a room and all these monsters are stabbed oh the, the but, but you know in head but you Horace know pinker is, leather face <laughs> yeah that that was me just having a fever dream of fanboyness i mean i look back <laughs> i look back on that now 26 years later and and i cringe um, the guy but, who wrote but, an Alien versus Predator movie with yeah, the Phantasm the Spears in there. Yes, yeah. I was just yes. I just say the Phantasm Ball. Yeah, oh, yes. I, Wicker Mayor Man. Culpa. You have Mayor two Culpa. Wicker Man. I, I do. Yeah. Well, I like. Yeah. There's also well, a cool scene where you have like Wes Craven's new Nightmare playing on a plane. So you kind of. I play. did. I did, and I and I I did that because I I know some people really like that film. I didn't like the film, and I was writing it at the same time um that yeah uh, the film had not come out yet and i was writing freddy versus jason at the same time and i thought well you know the, the that film has made i wanted to be a little bit meta about it and you know that film basically says that, that you know all of the films that are happening are all just fiction so i thought okay well let's switch it around what if that film is fiction Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, just ju- just to to you know, screw with the audience a little bit. But yes, I did. I had uh, I had Pontiff Manfredini, I think it was. Um, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, agents Reznor and Cobain are characters. Oh yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. You also have a nice meta moment where characters are debating who would win the mask versus Spawn. Uh, yes, talking about yeah, like, but, but, how are you going to combine but, those characters? I, yeah, and I have the line of dialogue, but it'd have to be done right because if it was done wrong, it'd be stupid. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, it's also you just dropped in there that you were working on a Judge Dredd and War of the Worlds uh, book. Yeah, Judge Dredd, Judge Dredd came out because um, I had done Alien versus Predator with Larry Gordon and Lloyd Levin, and um, I came back very late from the pub one night and I grew up with 2000 AD. If you remember, you know, when I was working for Paramount UK, I, uh, many of the titles, Strontium Dog, Rogue Trooper. In fact, I ended up working slightly on a, on a Rogue Trooper um, for Joel Silver at one point. Um, uh, many of those characters were, were characters I'd grown up with and I knew that they are ripe for, for film exploitation. Um, and, um, and Lloyd called me up and said, do you know a, a character called Judge Dredd? And I almost fell over because, you know, it's, it, you know, <laughs> I grew up with Judge Dredd. I mean, he's, he's my Superman, if you like. Um, and, and so I said, yeah. And Lloyd said, do you want to do it? And I said, yes. Um, and Larry Gordon was in uh, business with Ed Pressman at the time. 
um, it was going to be a co-production and um, they uh, flew me over and I, I spent 4th of July um, and I, I, it was a crazy time that I went to a party at um, Danny DeVito's house where everyone was there. Um, it was you know, Tom Cruise had just started uh, dating Nicole Kidman. She was there and it was, you know, and, I, and, I, and so I met all these guys and I talked about, um, you know, I talked about what I wanted to do with Judge Dredd. And they'd gone through a lot of drafts themselves at that point. Um, I think all in all, there was something like 13 writers on, on the project. And, um, you know, I was, I was hot, I guess, from Alien versus Predator. And, and, um, and uh, so they hired me. And um, there was a producer called Charlie Lippincott, no longer with us, died recently, who his claim to fame was he was uh, the publicity guy on Star Wars. And he had bought the rights to uh, Judge Dredd very early on and uh, had sold them to Lippincott. And there were a lot of producers on that project and um, nobody really knew the lore of Judge Dredd. And I was offered, they said, oh, how about the Rico story? And I knew the Rico story which is, you know, for those of you who don't know, is, is Judge Dredd's clone brother. I mean, if you've seen the Stallone movie, that's basically, that's the story. Um, and I, I wanted to do Judge Death, who is the you know, anti-universe version of Judge Dredd. I mean, he, he's and from he a, looks very a parallel. <laughs> yeah, he's from a parallel dimension, um, you know, where, where life itself is a crime and, um, you know, the punishment is death. And he has, you know, his his three dark judges who, you know, all four are basically the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And they come through to, if you've seen either of the Judge Dredd movies, they come to, through to uh, Judge Dredd's megacity and, um, and begin to kill everybody um, with various, you know, supernatural um, abilities. Um, and that was the story, you know, that that is the ultimate adversary for me. And um, I, again, I've talked about that elsewhere and um uh i was i i signed on and when i signed on i wasn't told that william wisher would be coming on to do the version that charlie lippincott wanted to do which was the the rico story and i you know that the idea was um I, tony scott was the director schwarzenegger was judge dread schwarzenegger would be choosing between the two drafts um and that's what they would go with but um, it was made very difficult for me by Charlie Lippincott. And I had a, a situation where I, the stress put me in hospital. And it was, uh, you know, at that 26, 27, whatever it was, 28, I think it was. And it was nature's way of saying, get the hell off this movie. So, um, you know, um, the nice thing was when Susan Nicoletti, who was one of the producers on it, met up with me the weekend that uh, Dread opened in London. And, uh, and, and said, you know, we, we shouldn't have made that draft. Although I'm not actually convinced that they shouldn't have, have made that draft. Um, it's, a, it's, you know, the film is what the film is. I like the film. I think it's got a great Alan Silvestri score. It looks terrific. You know, uh, uh, okay, it's got a comic relief that doesn't work. Um, Dredd <laughs> should have kept his helmet on. Um, but it looks the part. I mean, you know, it's a shame that the sensibilities of the second movie and the Dredd in the second movie couldn't have been in the universe of the first movie yeah i, I love that robot in the first movie too i, I love oh, the, the uh, yeah Hammerstein. Of it. well who is who is from abc warriors which is a a title i've i've loved forever um it's a, it's another spin-off um about it it's basically a sort of dirty dozen team of robots um 
in a in a big war, and that's one of the characters. And I that's another project I'd love to do. Did you ever meet Tony Scott while you're working on it? Yes, I did. Tony and I got along very well. Um, uh, we were both, you know, very very keen, very uh, enthusiastic about the project. Um, and um, I said to him, you know, why? You know why is uh, why have you never done science fiction before? He said, "Well, you know they always uh, they always ask my brother Ridley. Uh, they never ask me." <laughs> um, I, you know, but uh, he was he was lovely, lovely, lovely man. It was very sad uh, his demise, um, mm. and, um, and 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 yeah, it could have been. You know, I, I, I think it's a reasonable film, but I think that the ultimate Judge Dredd movie still has yet to be made. Oh man. That would have been, I can't imagine, man, like Tony Scott and uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, wouldn't have been great. Yeah. But, you know, movies, you know, we're here to talk about movies that never happened. So yeah. yeah, exactly. And uh, oh. what was your take on War of the Worlds? War of the Worlds, um, I had loved the original book, the H.G. Wells book. Um, you know, obviously there was the 1950s uh, George Powell movie which I loved as a kid, um, uh, but it wasn't period. It wasn't Victorian. And I wanted to do period and Victorian. And so I um, grabbed uh, a whole bunch of people don't know that, you know, it's obviously from the HG Wells book, but before the book was a book, it was actually a serializing of um, short, short chapters um, from uh, Pearson's magazine. And, uh, you know, it, it was eventually compiled as a full book, but when it was compiled, a number of chapters were taken out from it. Um, there was a, a chapter involving uh, cannibals in London. There was a, a chapter involving um, the provisional government being moved to Birmingham. And then there was the ending. And the ending of the, uh, of the original book, um, which is that H.G. Wells's narrator wanders around uh, London, goes up to Primrose Hill and finds that the Martians are dying. Um, you know, they've caught cold and, and they're, they're dying. And that's, that's it, that's the ending. That's not the ending in, that H.G. Wells originally wrote in Pearson's magazine. In the original one, he gets a bunch of dynamite and decides to go out and take down a Martian fighting machine. You know, he wrote the Hollywood ending and then cut it. <laughs> so I put the Hollywood ending back in. Um, and uh, and, and I, I wrote the script and, and I gave it to my agent. And uh, this time he didn't say, this is going to be difficult to sell. He, say, he said, I'm going to go to Paramount and we're going to talk about this. And he went to Paramount. And came back and said, okay, something interesting happened. And I said, what? Uh, Kenneth Branagh. And Branagh was just a, just, had just done Frankenstein, but it had not been released at that point. Branagh had, uh, and, um, and um, Vulcan in Flash Gordon. Oh, oh, uh, Timothy uh, Dalton? Or no. Brian Blessed? I'm trying to remember the Brian key. Blessed. Yeah. Yes. Brian oh, I'm Blessed. sorry. Thinking of Baron. Very, Brian Blessed, very good friends with, um, with, with Branagh. Um, they they had decided that they wanted to do War of the Worlds, and so you know um, uh, Kenneth Branagh was the golden boy, and um, and 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 he and uh, and he said, "Well, I'm going to get this to Branagh," and he got it. To, my agent got it to Branagh, and, and Branagh came back with the comment, "Well, I can't do better. Um, I'm in." So we had a <laughs> Kenneth Branagh War of the Worlds movie, um, and something unusual happened, which was international copyright law at the time was 50 years after an author's death. And uh, that would have, you know, you know, it was out of copy. It had just come out of copyright because Wells died in 1945. Strangely, the European copyright law 
that changed like weeks after. And so suddenly it was 75 years and it came back into copyright again. Now, there was a musical album version of War of the Worlds done in the 1970s by a guy called Jeff Wayne that was, you know, a big international hit. Um, beautiful album cover. Uh, you know, Richard Burton was the narrator. Uh, a couple of the songs were, were big hits in Europe. And um, Jeff Wayne had bought the non-theatrical ancillary rights to the, to, to the project from the Wells Estate. Um, which meant, you know, at the time he bought them in the 70s, there was no, you know, cable was in its infancy. There was no satellite. There was no DVD. You know, uh, movies kind of really didn't do that much after they'd gone off the cinema. Uh, but of course, you know, all of that rapidly changed with technology. And um, Jeff Wayne re-upped his, um, re-upped his rights. And we suddenly were in a, a position that this book, which was out of copyright, was now backing copyright so Brenner's guys my guys at William Morris Paramount went to the table with Jeff Wayne and we tried to make a deal with him and he wouldn't make a deal with us he he was adamant that he wanted you know it was either going to be a musical version of War of the Worlds or it wasn't going to happen and so it died you know the the project just didn't died until until a few years later Um, and I was in Los Angeles and I get a call to go uh, have a meeting at Cruz Wagner and I, I go into Cruise Wagner and there's a gentleman called Nick Bogner, who was the head of development at, at Cruise Wagner. And it, this was, a, this was a, a, just a meet and greet meeting, I thought. And then in the middle of the meeting, um, I, I, Nick said, so can we talk about War of the Worlds? And I said, sure, what do you want to know? He goes, well, I've read it. And I was surprised, I had no idea. Uh, and, and I said, oh, he said, yeah. And he grinned at me and he said, Tom and I would really like to make this movie. And I went, what? <laughs> and and you know he was expecting me to be you know thrilled, which I you know I would have been, and 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 he like looked at me and was puzzled by my lack of response. He goes, well, you know, Tom Cruise and I would like to make this movie. <laughs> and I said, well, there's a problem. And he said, he went, oh no, what? And I told him the story. I told him the Jeff Wayne story, and he like put his head in his hands. He went, oh, Tom really wants to make this. And this was a period version of War of the World, so this would have been, you know, Tom in a waistcoat, you know running with a girl in a parasol running away from fighting machines um and um so we went back to the table again we went we we tried to make a deal with jeff wayne second time it would he turned us down and that was that and then flash forward a few years and i see in the trades spielberg says oh i'm going to be doing war of the worlds and i went oh interesting fine (laughs) and um and then sure enough a few days later i saw a comment from Jeff Wayne saying, well, you know, Spielberg can't do this because I own the rights. Da, 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 da. It all went very quiet. And then the next thing I know is that uh, Jeff Wayne has suddenly announced that he's doing a touring theatrical production of War of the Worlds, big budget. There's a remaster of, of his musical album and Steven Spielberg has the rights. So whatever happened there mm. w- was that. But, um, you know, I, I, I do know that... Um, uh, uh, Paula Wagner, Tom's um, producing partner. Nick told me years later that Paula says said that she she wished they'd done the period version. And you know the BBC did a, did a version of it recently, but um, I don't kind of really feel that they they pulled it off successfully. Um, I don't think they had the budget to do. It. So that would have been like around 1995-ish because Bronner's yes, Frankenstein was 94. Yeah. Oh, okay. It was, it, was, it was dead on 95 and again in, I guess, 99 with, uh, with Tom Cruise. 
Oh, okay. Interesting. And is the Highlander stuff kind of happening during all of this? Oh, Highlander. Highlander. When I, when I was a stills photographer, I, I was working in the uh, East end of London and uh, just down by tower bridge. And there was a, a ramshackle studio that was put together. I think probably only two films were ever made there uh, called Jacob street studios. And one of the films was Highlander. So I was across the road when they were filming Highlander and I was sort of curious. I actually saw it the same day as Aliens um, at the Warner West End in London and oh, that's loved a good it. Double yeah, right? <laughs> it, it, it was. It was, a, it, was a, it was an interesting day and loved Highlander. Loved, loved, loved it. Greg Wyden, who wrote the original script, has since become a friend of mine. Um, we, we have a mutual friend in Shane Black who introduced us. And, um, and, and, and yeah, Greg's a lovely guy. And, um, but my my thing for this was i think it was actually prior to i just sold alien versus predator and i was asked by my agent william morris to have a, uh, a meeting um put together by uh gaumont pathé uh, in in paris uh to have a talk with panzer and davis and um so we talked about this and they had a vague idea for a highlander tv show you know they've been Obviously, Highlander 2 had, had come out. Highlander 3 was in the works. And, and they gave us a few, like, pages uh, of, like, very large font, very big gaps between the, 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 the lines uh, of an idea for it. And it was very, very rough. So, you know, I was in a, in a rush on this. I asked my brother to come in, and Andy Briggs uh, asked him to come in and, and, and work with me on some storylines. And we basically did a series Bible, and we created an awful lot of material um, and, uh, you know, ranging from log lines um, down to, I think in one case, a, a 20, 28 page um, breakdown for one episode. Um, and this is all, you know, before a single story had been, uh, had been written. I think it's fair to say those guys ripped us off. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, we created the, the watchers. We, we called it the mortal cult. In, in that initial uh, work. Um, and, and, you know, the watchers obviously didn't really come in until the second season, but they were there before one episode of the first season that had, had ever been commissioned. And uh, I, I, you know, I remember one day I got a call from Bill Panzer when we were working on this. They said, they said, well, you know, thanks guys. You know, you've done an awful lot of work for us. And it was an awful lot of work. It was like a hundred pages of stuff. And, um, you know, but, but, you know, we're, we're going to go in a different direction. And I thought that was the end of it. And then, um, you know, I guess the show went into production and it aired on television. It aired at like three o'clock in the morning in Britain. Um, and I didn't bother watching it, I'll admit. And my brother called me up and said, have you seen Highlander? I said, no. And he goes, you really need to see it. And I said, why? He goes, because they've stolen all of our ideas. And so, you know, I kind of, I, I got in touch with my attorney and, uh, and, and I, I just, in the end, filed it under the life's too short category. And I thought that was the end of it until fast forward to 2003 and uh, Miramax Dimension uh, called my agent and say, hey, um, we're, 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 kind of, we like, we're a fan of, of Peter Briggs. Um, would you like to come on and write Highlander 5 for us? And I, and I was like, are you serious? Um, and, and, and they were like, yeah. And I said, well, and I gave them the same thing I gave, you know, I'll do it if I can direct it. And they were like, well, okay. And so, you know, I was working for, um, I think it was, uh, that was Bob Weinstein 
And um, and I had to talk to Panzer and Davis. And so it was, you know, both of them are now dead, uh, sadly. But um, it, I took great joy in needling Bill Panzer. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I said, hey, Bill, you know, you remember that we created that that thing for the TV, you know, because they that was their cash cow. You know, those guys, you know, what lasted decades on the money from Highlander. And um, uh, and and Bill was like, well, you know, it's such a long time ago. I, I can't really remember. So I did um, I did three sets of a, a draft of this thing. Um, and uh, I, I actually did some storyboards for it because uh, I, I had an artist uh, called John Kelly do some storyboards for me. Um, which you can find online if you if you Google it. That's good. And um, and um, uh, and uh, unfortunately, uh, um, Disney sold Miramax off, and uh, the, the the property went to Lionsgate, and uh, it became Highlander the Source, which was not well received, I would say. No. <laughs> so was this was this always for Adrian Paul? Yes. Well, yeah, because they killed off. Yeah. Oh, okay. Right on. Oh, man. It's like, what happened with that franchise theatrical wise? It's just unbelievable. It's, yeah. Well, I mean, it's producers. Uh, this is what happens when you have producers who, who just really want to make a buck rather than loving their material. Um, you know, it, it's now, I mean, I saw this week that um, Henry Cavill is now on board, uh, the latest guy on board. Uh, you know the cavalcade at Lionsgate. So we'll, we'll. I've I've read that draft. Um, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. I, I, I have but, so many Highlander drafts like, throughout the years that they've been trying yeah. to make this thing, and it's like it's crazy. And and it's yes. crazy that part two they released like the Renegade cut. They try to redo that, and then Highlander three is pretty much like a remake of Highlander one. And it's just and then was it the End Game like um like all the stuff in the trailer is not in the movie. They just tried to, they put fake stuff in the trailer to get people to go see the movie. I was so upset. Well, as as, as as Bill Panzer said to me, you know, I got to pay somebody to clean my pool. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you know. Oh man, I, would, uh, I mean, is there anything about your draft? I mean, was yours totally different than what ended up coming out with the source? Um, I think they're online. You can read them. Um, oh, they you are. Can judge oh. for yourself. <laughs> okay. Cool. I think that, that, that there's three drafts. I think well, at least one of them is online somewhere. Oh really? Okay. I'll yeah. Take a look at those. Um, hold on. Oh yeah, and then uh, you you mentioned earlier a script called Forever Man in, in two thousand five. I found that interesting because you worked with Robert Evans and Stanley. I did, yeah, I did. It was um, you know, it was Pow Productions, which was um, Stan's company, and it was Evans, you know, and um, and I was working out of um, I was working out of Evans' office on the Paramount lot, um, you know, which is steeped in history. Uh, you know, you go in and there's all of his Oscars for. Oscars and Golden Globes and everything from, you know, slate boards for Chinatown and Rosemary's Baby and Black Sunday and all these things that he's done in the past, which are glorious films. And, but for me, the draw was, I got to work with Stan um, and Stan, you know, even again, you know, I, I, I do sometimes wonder if I'm in the Truman show and that in order to boost the ratings, they just want to, you know, hire me to, do something and then they'll just cancel it in order to, to, to get the ratings because I just get one film after another, which, you know, either, you know, the budget's too high, then, you know, they don't like the script. Sometimes that happens 
or something else happens. And there's something else in, in, um, in, in this case was that uh, the DreamWorks merger with Spielberg and, um, uh, you know, he, he brought across DreamWorks to Paramount and um, an awful lot of the Paramount slate went and they just, they just put, after the, the several drafts I did of Forever Man, they, they put it on the back burner. Um, but the nice thing was that, you know, um, Stan and I remained friends until the day he died. And, you know, I could, I could send him an email and he'd zap me back with something and it was, it was lovely. And Stan was a, a, a delight to work with. Um, but very mired in, in that 1960s sensibility. We came up with, the plot line was sort of a, a, a strange thing about um, uh, an island where people are being experimented on and this cop ends up looking for his girlfriend's brother who has been incarcerated there and goes to this island. And, and uh, the island is, is basically mutating people um, through a variety. Of, and we came up with this. I did this legitimately with my brother this time. It wasn't a case of he was coming on to you know, be my sounding board. He and I wrote the drafts together for this one. And uh, I asked him if, if he would come on board and he said yes. Uh, and and uh, you know we came up with this very technological. It was a, it was almost like the Captain America thing in the movie of you know it's not just the super serum, it's not just the this, it's a combination of this 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 and this that makes Captain America Captain America. Well, we did the same thing, and we turned it in. And Stan was like, "Well, you know, this is kind of complicated. Could it not just be radiation?" You know, which was kind of fun. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, we did we, we did a couple of drafts of that, but it became. A victim again of a, a development slate. <clears throat> excuse me, a development slate. Um, you know, going, you know, getting iced. Um, and if I'm honest, it wasn't one of my better scripts as well. I know something. Uh, Panzer eighty eight is something you're still trying to make. I don't know if you really consider that a, a movie that didn't get made. But I'm wondering if yeah, you it's a movie. It's talk a, movie a bit that, that... about that. Yeah, I mean, that came on the hills of another movie that I was doing. I, I, I came up with an idea um, called Mortis Rex, which was about a bunch of Roman legionaries in the middle of nowhere uh, building Hadrian's Wall across Scotland. And uh, there's a Cthulian creature that is killing them off. Um, and oh, we had, cool. <laughs> it was great. It's, it's still one of my favorite scripts. Um, at Constantine, uh, I, I read some... Um, script notes from Constantine. It was like the second favorite movie that they read that year. I'd love to know what the first one was. Um, <laughs> and because uh, boy, it must've been good. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, people love that script and, and we raised, we went out to finance just after the stock market crash. We still raised half the finance. Um, but we we basically had needed needed a, a figurehead producer, and we brought on board um, a guy called Jim Jacks. And Jim was the guy who gave Sam Raimi his career, who hired him at Universal. Uh, he produced a, a lot of movies like uh, Tombstone, um, uh, the Mummy franchise with with his producing partner, and um, and and Jim, you know, made some very good observations about the script and. And uh, gave some very good notes, which which improved the draft. Um, and um, we were halfway through financing, and Jim had a heart attack and died. Um, now I had already been working on um, Panzer eighty eight at this point, and so when Jim died, 
you know, I, I was already down the road a little bit on that. So we, we shelved Mortis Rex. That's something I really want to come back to. Um, I, I think it's a really good project. But Panzer 88 was a script um, that I had uh, given to me by a, a pair of, of writers, uh, Aaron Mason and Jim Cowan. Um, and I liked the premise a lot, but I thought it needed a lot of work. So um, I worked on it um, most, mostly on my own, but Aaron helped to, to, uh, to, to a good degree. Um, although, you know, I ended up doing the bulk of the writing and, um, and uh, I coincidentally, fortuitously had met uh, Gary Kurtz in London and um, uh, on another project, another World War II project, another um, sort of monster World War II project. And, and Gary was like, well, how long is this going to take you to write? And I said, well, you know, I, honestly, I think it's probably going to take me about a year. And he said, was well, there anything else we can do right now? And I said, well, I've got this other project, which was Panzer 88, which I was working on. And he said, well, how long, uh, what, what's it about? And I told him, and he said, that sounds great. Uh, and and uh, he goes, should we, should we talk about doing that? And so Gary came on board and, and was really enthusiastic. And we got, this, we, we finished the script and um, uh, it took a very, very long time to get the financing. Um, Gary was not, you know, Gary's a lovely guy, was a lovely guy. Uh, he, unfortunately, he died a couple of years ago. Um, but, you know, he had produced Star Wars and he produced Empire Strikes Back and obviously had an Oscar nomination for, for American Graffiti, uh, did Dark Crystal, which he was very proud of, and, and um, returned to Oz. Um, but, you know, um, he's very self, very quiet, very self-effacing. And unlike um, uh, Jim Jacks, you know, was, was not, not the guy you you set out to go get money um and so we it took us a long long time and i eventually ended up myself and with another person i brought on board uh going out to try and get us the financing and uh we had fully got the financing for panzer 88 in place uh dependent upon uh getting a budget in place for it in 2017 and then two things happened in rapid succession which were I brought on board a friend of mine, producer called Evil Powell, who produced Alien and Blade Runner. And Evil um, had written a script called BIOS, which he gave me and I gave him some notes on it. And, uh, and uh, I, I said to Evil, look, you know, I, I think this is one of the best scripts I've, I've ever read. You know, I think you can sell this. And, and Evil is the epitome of the English gentleman. He's charming self-effacing uh, and he was you know he just sort of said very modestly well you know I, I, one can only hope you know um you know he'd never uh, you know had anything uh, made that he'd sold in uh, as a theatrical production but he put it out there and um, I, and I was right and uh, he sold it to Zemeckis um Spielberg came on board and at that point uh, he he said to me very shamefacedly look I have to leave the project I've got to go off and make this movie with Tom Hanks <laughs> and so he left, he left Panzer. So I lost um, one, one producer to Spielberg and, um, and I lost my other producer to cancer because Gary was, um, Gary was diagnosed uh, with cancer and went into chemo and had to remove himself. And there were some other ugly things that happened uh, on the project. I, I gloss over. Um, but um, the long and the short of it was I, uh, the rights to the script reverted to the original writers and the project collapsed. 
Um, now I, you know, I'd rewritten a significant portion of the script anyway. So I, I kind of basically, you know, brewed and mold on it for about two years and decided I could still do something with it. And so I was reluctant to kind of really let that go because I'd invested 10 years of my life in it. So I kind of, I have written now over the course of the last year or so, um, uh, it, you know, various things, obviously things got very, very difficult with, for everyone, you know, during COVID and lockdown. Um, but I've got a, a financier that's sort of interested in it, um, pending the new, new rewrite. Um, so I'm, I'm in the process of finishing that off right now, but the premise has changed completely. Originally, it was about a German tank crew in World War II who are being pursued by a um, supernatural Jewish golem, if you like, um, that's uh, enacting revenge against a, a, an SS uh, guy who has killed a village. Um, and I couldn't use any of that legally. So it's, you know, the, or the, the, the new version of it is, is a very different story about an allied tank crew on a, uh, on a spy mission um, and um, something else happened. I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> yeah, I understand. No, yeah, I, I read I read somewhere where you said it was kind of like a horror version of like like what Hunt for Red October did with submarines. I mean, yeah, what Hunt for Red October and Crimson Tide did with submarines, you're going to do with a supernatural twist with the tank genre. And that sounded kind of yeah, cool. And, and that's that script is great. And I, I hope that Aaron and Jim set it up somewhere and make it. Uh, I mean, but unfortunately, you know, I, the version they did was 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 a is a is a great mood piece. It's 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 a static mood piece where um, uh, the tank breaks down and it, and it's 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 very much about the the characters kind of um, you know getting a little bit of cabin fever and there's something out there. Um, whereas my one, um, Jim Cowan, the the other writer on the project, used to uh, refer to it uh, as a sort of Indiana Jones thing. I mean, if you've read my drafts, you kind of of other scripts you know what you're getting so mm -hmm. it was a big action it was a big action piece it was a big action piece um and um and and it still is and it's it's a lot of fun um but very different from the the, the way that the project originally was yeah because um, i think there was a couple of storyboards online for it you guys released there is well um Weta workshop is uh you know um uh, richard taylor um actually came on board both panzer and mortis rex as a producer um, and, you know, loved both drafts and, and wanted to produce them. Um, but unfortunately, The Hobbit turned into three movies rather mm. than two movies and actually happened. Because uh, at one point when I was down in New Zealand talking to them, uh, 2010, 2011, there was an actor's strike that looked as if The Hobbit was going to be in jeopardy. Uh, and I met with Peter Jackson and Peter, Peter said to me, uh, look, you know, I, I want to help you do whatever I can to help Panzer 88 get made. Um, and he was extremely generous with his time and with his resources. Um, and, um, you know, here we are 10 years later, it's not made yet, but I'm, I, I live in hope. Um, uh, it's, it's, a, it's, it's a, it's a good project, but it's, it's a different project. Um, uh, yeah, that's, that's all I could say about that. For, for yeah. Now. No well, I had one more. Made. I also hope Mortis Rex gets made. That's yeah. Awesome. That one sounds awesome. <laughs> Oh man, it's so funny because I, I I was talking about that and I mentioned Mortis Rex and everyone immediately goes, "Oh no, I want to see that." But <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, I would love to. If 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 there are producers out there, the the rights are solely mine. 
come at me, come at me with a good budget, and let's make it, please. Uh, Netflix, I am, I am waiting for your call. <laughs> oh, I was going to say, like, I had two other things here. I had the Flash and the Tick. Did oh yeah, know? no, the 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 Tick was just something I was a big fan of, and I um, uh, I the the Tick was something I think I tried to suggest at Paramount, um, when when I was doing that pre Alien versus Predator thing. The Flash was offered to me. Um, but, but yeah, I was, I was, I was going, I was brought on board Deep Blue Sea. Um, no way. I, yeah. <laughs> as, as a writer on, on Deep Blue Sea. And, um, uh, shortly after I was brought on board, the director who was brought on board, who was Phil Juano had me removed so he could be his own, um, he could bring his own writer on board. And, you know, I, it didn't obviously happen with Phil Juano, so. That, yeah, he I, himself was removed so he himself i guess yeah, <laughs> yeah something happened um but i i remained um i remained good friends with the producers um and they offered me the flash and uh you know i i love what i've watched the flash tv show cw's tv show and i i th- i think what they've done with that is really smart i think it's actually smarter than than, than what the um the recent uh uh films have done with it and um, ironically, I, I bumped into David Goya at Meltdown Comics in, in Los Angeles once, and we got talking. And, uh, and, I, and I said to him, uh, oh, you know, um, I, I, I was offered the flash and, and I turned it down in the end because I couldn't get the story to work. And he laughed and he said, no, I was offered it and I couldn't get the story to work either. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I didn't feel too badly about that. Um, but yeah, it was just, it was one of those things that, that, that didn't happen. I was, I was off of Green Lantern. I turned that down, um, because I love the comics, love the comics, but I, I feel that they work well within that two panel reality. But the, you know, when you're, when you have a character who can produce, you know, a big anvil, uh, out, out of thin air and, or, or drop a tractor on somebody, it becomes, it becomes the mask, you know? It, mm-hmm. it, it takes it outside of the gritty reality that is that is Superman and Batman. I, you know, those scenes in um, in Justice League with the Green Lantern. I love those scenes, but you know, you're just basically seeing somebody using a power ring with power. But once you start to to physically form objects for the ring, I feel that that's where that you 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 be, your sense of um, you know, your sense of dramatic reality begins to implode a little bit. Well, and, and they and, were briefly before the Ryan Reynolds movie happened. Uh, I know that they, uh, I don't know how far, I don't know if it even got to a script, but I remember that they were discussing doing a comedy version with Jack Black as like this doofy guy who finds the ring. But I think that's because someone there at the studio had the same feeling or concerns you did. And they were like, well, maybe we should just make the mask. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, I mean, if you think about it, you know, it, it is entirely conceivable that after The Rock has done Black Adam, you know, you could do, you know, Shazam, Shazam Green Lantern. I mean, I think that those two universes could work well together. But once you, you know, once you start putting the league together, it, it I, I don't know. I mean, you know, there are, there are, there are things that in, um, in the Marvel universe that I, uh, you, you think wouldn't work and they work very well. Um, if you ever want to find me, I'm, I'm on I'm on Twitter. I'm easy to find. I've uh, I've got two two pages. 
uh, the Peter Briggs and, and Peter Briggs. Uh, I'm there. Um, and as I said, I do, I, I do help um, upcoming writers with their scripts as well, uh, where I can. Um, it's nice to see. Um, I've, I've helped a couple of people win some, win some competitions and make some nice. sales. That's, that's nice. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, well, thanks so much for coming on and giving us uh, your time. Sure. It's, it's a pleasure. Um, so, uh, yeah, it was a lovely to talk to you and, uh, yeah. we'll talk about, we'll talk about Panzer 88 and Mortis Rex when they're made. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I can't wait. <laughs> they sound awesome. Or, 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 or I'll see you again in 10 years and we'll talk about how that didn't. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that concludes our conversation with Peter Briggs. Thank you to Peter for joining us and thank you to you for listening. If you'd like more content from us, you should follow us on Twitter at never made film and on Instagram at best movies never made. I also recommend you download the electric now app so you can watch video of our podcast and all the podcasts on the electric surge network. We'd like to thank everyone here at electric surge, including Bill Ritter and producers, Mark Altman and Dean Devlin. Until next time, this is Josh Miller and Steven Scarlatta saying, we won't see you at the movies. This podcast is a production of the Electric Surge Network.